Hey, my pearls, did you know that we're now on YouTube? That's right. Every Monday, we're going to be releasing the full versions of our episodes. So if you're looking for something that's a little bit more long format or you want to see our beautiful faces, hop onto YouTube and search for World's Your Oyster. And while you're there, why don't you have a look at all of the videos that we've released so far and be a pearl. Like them, comment, share them, review them, do all the things the YouTubers do. We thank you guys so much for your support and we look forward to seeing you on video. Bye-bye. World, world, your oyster. What's up, everybody? You're listening to World, Your Oyster. And this is Paula Sanders here, and I'm here alone. (laughs) Mo's out in Los Angeles taking care of some very official business, but this is exciting because now I get all of your attention. I'm really looking forward to this week's interview. I am going to be sitting down with Elliot Tomonyeo, and he owns his own PR firm, and he has had a super successful business for the last, I want to say 10 years, but he really climbed his way to the top um, in the tech PR industry, and he really has a lot of valuable information to share about starting your business, about starting a family when you're a workaholic, and so many many more things. So I'm really looking forward to sitting down with him. But before we get started with that, let's get into the pearl in my oyster. It's not our oyster this week. It's my oyster. Why don't we get into the pearls of our oysters this week? You want to hear the pearl of my oyster? Is that the pearl in your oyster? Yeah, let's make it that. Oh my God. Okay. So this one is really exciting for me because, you know, you put so much work and effort into these episodes and you really hope that they are reaching anybody. Um, But it's different than when you post a story to Instagram or a, a static post or whatever. You get that instant gratification because you get those likes and you get those comments and you're like, wow, okay. I'm the shit. (laughs) But with the podcast, you know, it's not that way. I have been consuming podcasts for probably six years from when they first started coming out. Um, And I consume many, many, many different podcasts. But it's never, I never reach out to, you know, the host of the show to let them know that, hey, that episode was really good or it changed my life. I also never followed them on Instagram and, you know, liked a post that they were doing to promote the show. Only now that I've started my own podcast, do I do these types of things because, you know, I want to learn and see what they're doing. But I had the most incredible thing happen to me last week. I was out there in the wild and I ran into some friends and, uh, and, and they're not even super close friends. They're just people that are kind of in my circle. And, uh, they said, you know, Paula, we've been listening to the podcast and I've really been enjoying it and yada, yada, yada. And, um, his wife was actually in earshot and she turned around and she was like, oh my gosh, is this world's your oyster? And I was like, yeah, it is. Which was like so comical to begin with. And then she told me that since they started watching the show, world's your oyster has become like part of their daily jargon. Whenever she wants something, she asks her husband and her husband goes, you know, honey, world's your oyster. So, you know, this just really made my day because like I said, you never know who's out there listening. And, um, you know, even if it's the name of our show that is resonating with people, I was happy to just kind of have that moment of, 
you know, knowing that the episodes are getting in front of people. And we're going to really make an effort moving forward to make sure that we are bringing you super inspirational stories so that, you know, whatever it is that you're going through throughout the day, that you are always reminded that the world really is your oyster. I miss Mo, but I am excited to do this by myself. And I hope you enjoy the show. Bye. Elliot Tamanyo is a force to be reckoned with in the world of public relations and tech startups. As the founder of Asterisk, a New York-based public relations firm, Elliot has worked with some of the biggest names in the tech industry, including Squarespace, Groupon, and Prime Video. With the focus on both emerging and established companies, Elliot has helped launch over 150 startups and tech products and has been a part of seven successful exits since Asterix's launch in 2012 but his accomplishments don't stop there. As a proud member of the LGBTQIA community, he is an advocate for diversity and inclusivity in the workplace and beyond. Elliot is also a devoted husband to his gorgeous partner, Blake, and the two recently welcomed their first child. Despite his many achievements, Elliot is not immune to struggles, and we'll get into some of them, but he has managed to overcome and serves as an inspiration to anyone who has faced obstacles in their personal or professional lives. Elliot, welcome to World's Your Oyster. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. I am so happy to be here as well. It's been such a nice, chill start, too. He arrived right on time, as a professional does. You know, five minutes late is on time. And five minutes early is on time in my books. I love it. I love it. And NPR, you got you to show up. Exactly. Exactly. And what a good segue to question number one, because I want to, I, I you know what I feel that we're, we're sometimes lacking is when we start the episodes, we don't actually do a dive into what somebody does. So I want you okay. to just, you're walking on the streets, you run into somebody from the middle of Milwaukee and they have no idea what public relations is. Can you just walk me through what you would say to that person? Oh yeah. And th- my family's from Chicago. And so, and some <laughs> of them are from Milwaukee. So I got this down. Um, I help people get into the news or more specifically, I help companies, specifically technology companies get media coverage mm-hmm. to help them achieve their business goals. Um, so that's kind of the simple way to say it. But, you know, we're a full service PR firm. Um, we mostly started we started working with startups and then we expanded into wellness companies and entertainment brands and fashion brands. And um, but most of everything that we do has some kind of innovation bent to it because I started in PR in 2008 in Silicon Valley. Mm-hmm. So I've always kind of had this tech mm-hmm. um, aspect to what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, so most of the companies we work with are startups and uh, we help them get media coverage across consumer tech, business, lifestyle podcasts, TV. Good. Will you represent us? Oh, 100%. Amazing. <laughs> Here we go. So I want to take a little a hop back just so that we can talk about how, obviously I want to talk about how you started your business because that's, that's the good stuff. But uh, before we hop into that, let's just take a quick journey through your upbringing and then go into college. And then obviously we'll go into your first couple of jobs because I believe that yeah. you you did start in a big company, right? Yeah, it was a bigger PR firm. So I grew up in Chicago until I was 11, mm-hmm. um, you know, big Italian Chicago family. Um, moved to Arizona because my, my dad owned a travel agency and they'd been going to Arizona back and forth every year since I was born. And they finally were like, fuck it, we need to get out of the cold. They moved to Arizona when I was 11. Um, culture shock completely. But I think that's kind of where I learned to be a little bit of a chameleon in some ways. Grew up in uh, kind of Scottsdale area of Arizona and then went to college in Switzerland. I think that was like a really transformative experience for me. There was kids from all over the world, 
Only half the kids were American. It was all taught in English, but there were kids from the Middle East. There were kids from Russia. You know, sitting with my friend Hanouf, and she's teaching me about Islam and and what Islam means to her. Um, and to really have my eyes opened at 19 and to be learning from peers about yeah. their cultures, I think was just like so mind expanding. And um, I have a one and a half year old and I really want him to get out of this country and go to college somewhere abroad and, and really have one of those experiences. Because if I didn't have that at such a young age, I don't think I'd be living in New York. And what were you majoring in while you were there? International comms. Uh, okay. So it was always a communications thing for you. Yeah, because well, back then it was really the wild, wild west of PR, right? Oh, I mean, totally. it was like- They were faxing things. So we were like faxing and making right. these media lists. Um, but I, I honestly, I picked- And tech was, what was tech? Was so IBM, like AOL. Well, I was in college in so 2005, I started. So we had just gotten Facebook and we were one yep. of the last colleges to get it because we were abroad. So I think we got Facebook in 2006. And that ended up being my first client um, at a PR firm when I graduated in 2008. And uh, so starting, you know, in tech at that point, I think was, was really helpful for me. But why did I choose comms? You know, vulnerability, I think is so important. It was the easiest major. I wanted to have fun in college. I was there in Switzerland. I wanted to travel around during the weekend. I didn't want to do the international business classes because there was a little bit too much. Uh, like math, uh, statistics. Yeah. It was harder. Yeah. And I was like, I want to choose like the slightly easier path. I ended up being really great at PR and loving PR. Um, and I'm so glad that I chose that route um, because I've, been doing PR ever since I graduated. And I think so many people it takes them a little while to find their career path. And I feel really blessed that right out of college, 21, I was working in the career that ended up being you know, the career that I'm going to have in some way, shape or form the rest of my life. Were you playing straight at this time of your life or so what was your... I think it's important to call out that like, I think I did have, I don't know if I would call it the privilege of passing, but I think it wasn't always obvious to everyone. And I think the mm -hmm. way that I dressed, I wanted to fit in a little bit more. It's kind of a weird thing to talk about because I have this weird guilt about taking advantage of my passing early on in my career. But I think it's important that I acknowledge that maybe I would not have had the same opportunity should I have been a little bit more obviously uh, to what, you know, heteronormative values are. If I, if I was more obviously gay to some of these men in tech, I don't know if they would have felt as comfortable with me representing them. Now, in 2023, it's a badge of honor to have a gay PR person. Everybody's like, oh yeah, my PR guy is gay. He's really cool. Um, but early tech in 2008 in San Francisco, it wasn't the same thing. No, definitely not. It was a time where everybody was wearing sweatshirts and it was like- We're still you, wearing those Patagonia vests. I know, we gotta get, we guys, It's it, the time is do done. Better. We can do better. <laughs> Call Elliot, he can, Wait, he, not only can he know, fix your business, but he can fix your wardrobe too. Patagonia stopped allowing brands to put their logos on it because I think they were sick of that association. I think Patagonia made a decision to- um, Oh, that's so not interesting. with the VC bro. Yeah. Mm. I must say I'm an LP in a couple of VC funds and there are some really great venture capitalists, capitalists out there that have great style. Wait, you <laughs> just said a word that I have no, what's an LP? A limited partner. Oh, a limited so, partner. Explain, please. Yes. So you have uh, general partners of VC funds that are the ones that make the decisions about which investments they make. And then you have limited partners who put money into the fund who have no decision on, um, you know, where those, that money goes. Um, but you're kind of making a bet on those partners that they're going to choose the right companies. Is it like a, an angel investment or? So I do angel investing as well. Um, it, with angel investing, I invest directly into the startup and give them a lot of help. So I'm involved from a PR perspective, marketing perspective. One of my favorites is a company called Both And. It's made for transmasculine people. Um, and so I have a lot of fun helping them out. But with as an LP, I invest a portion of money and then they invest it in many, many companies. So I'm not in, as involved in the companies 
Um, when I'm an LP, when I'm an, I'm an angel, I'm a little more active. It's really interesting to me because I, I always want to understand, like, how does someone know when the time is right to start investing in companies? Like, do you do that instead of investing in the stock market? Like right. wh- where, what's the decision process there? Because I was in tech and because I was kind of seen as like a value add investor, I had an opportunity to get into these funds that normally you would have to put in a hundred times, 200 times what I was allowed to put in. So I was allowed to put in a smaller chunk mm-hmm. because they wanted my opinion on things. The first LP relationship I made was with Female Founders Fund, and they only invest in female-founded businesses. They're yep. based here in New York. Started in 2013. They're, they're now on their third or fourth fund. Um, some huge companies like Maven Clinic, Billy. Yeah, um, incredible, incredible company. I, and the um, the founder, Anu, and the other partner, uh, Sutiana, are incredible. Um, so I started invest. That was my first LP relationship. And it was only a year after I started my company. But a friend of mine um, called me up, and she said, hey— this woman I know starting a female investment fund. I know that you're really passionate about underrepresented founders. I think you could get, get in um, for a smaller amount um, if you offer her a little PR help. So I did their initial PR releases. I got their initial Brilliant. coverage, was able to put a smaller check size in. And now I've done that with uh, four other funds and five um, angel investments personally. And why then? Opportunity knocked. Mm. And I, I think it was Kerry Washington that I heard saying the other day, she said, you have to run after the bus. You don't know if that bus is yours if you don't run for it. And so it just, it was a great visual where you might still miss the bus, but if you didn't run, you don't, you don't know. And, and, and I, I never wanted to have any regrets. So that's, this was this opportunity. Um, and it was a, a good amount of money for me at the time. Right. Um, but it was a little bit of a gut decision. And it was also about putting my money where my mouth is. I was always talking about underrepresented founder. We need, we need more women in tech, LGBTQ plus people in tech. We need mm-hmm. to see more representation from BIPOC and AAPI people in tech. What am I going to do about it? So that investment also helped me, you know, kind of solidify the impact that I'm trying to make in tech and the change that I've been trying to make even um, you know, since early on in my career. That's awesome. So now take us to, you know, finally deciding to start your own company. So you have a is it a five-year career in PR working Before, for? Yeah. So 2012, I moved here for a job and I'm a head of consumer technology of this PR firm on Fifth Avenue. Ended up not being the right fit for me. So about nine months into that job, I left and I um, started my own firm and I wasn't really ready. I kind of had to leave. I had a issue with one of the other partners and we had a disagreement about what types of clients we should be taking on. Okay. And so it was almost a little bit like a forced resignation. And so here I was, um, you know, 27, just moved here, had, you know, an apartment that was kind of expensive in the East Village for me. And I was like, I can't uh, support this apartment on uh, waiting tables. I got to figure this out. Right. So, I so start, you thought to start a company. So I, I, I was like, you know, instead of just freelancing <laughs> and being like, oh, I'm a freelance PR person. Why don't I make a little logo? And why don't I get an intern and take all my meetings only on the days that I have the intern with me? So right at the, so you had an assistant in a way, like, yeah, yeah. but also it was about, it was about making myself look bigger. So I would always go on the day that, um, Abby was working so that I walked in. It wasn't just Elliot. It was asterisk PR. And how did you think of that name? Well, you know, I really wanted to say that there's like a little asterisk at the end of PR. There's, there's so many other things that, what, that that we do encompassed (laughs) by the word PR and that, you know, PR was kind of an old school model. And so the asterisk was also about doing it a little bit different. 
And then I wanted to get a URL that was short. So I originally wrote like the asterisk agency and spelled it all out. The name isn't that important. It's really, especially in the services business, it's about, you know, what you do and the results that you drive for your clients. Mm -hmm. And that's really, so within the first couple of months, we had two or three clients. I'm undercutting every other PR firm, yeah. working out of my apartment in the East Village. Yeah. Um, well, let's talk about that for a yeah. second. Okay, so you decide to to start your own company. You hire an intern, which is essentially your assistant. Yeah. How much money do you have to put in at this point? Like, what are you running? I think all in, probably like the costs were 1500 or something like that. $1,500. Can you believe that this all starts off of $1,500, which is crazy to think in 2012, because I know that my parents, they started their business in 1970 something on $2,000 literally. But you, you think now, right. But you also hear now, okay, these big, these companies start, they need $9 million investment just to get things going. I mean, that is so incredible that in 2012, you can start your own PR firm. Regardless, It's all all because of tech. Yeah. this stuff was available. I could make a website online easily with Squarespace or Weebly. Yeah. I could make a logo myself because I had done a little, you know, I, I always loved computers as kids. I was such a dork. Yeah. So I had a little like, you know, leg up in that regard. What are your first three clients? Who are your first three clients? Um, one is this little Wi-Fi hotspot called Karma. Another one um, is someone I'm still friends with. Um, their, their name is Kelsey. And um, they started a company to, um, with data visualization um, that ended up on ESPN and, and, basically taking information from Twitter and synthesizing it for live TV. Do you understand all of this tech stuff? Some of this stuff, it can get a little bit convoluted for me. And there's other people on my team who understand it better than I do. But I think for us to work with a client, we're mostly B2C. Yeah. Um, we're mostly consumer products. We mostly work with companies that are um, easy-ish to understand, even mm. if they're doing something new in their industry. And if they're not easy-ish to understand, we make them. Easy, easy-ish. To right. Understand. Well, that's, that's I mean, that's what you do. You're yeah. making everything digestible for humans to then purchase it. Okay. So you have you and Abby and now we're, we're what, two, and three the, years the in? First year we're, we're six people, got our first office, Lower East Side, co-working space, started doing PR for the co-working space. And how did you even know how to hire, who to hire and what to hire as a new business owner? Because I had been a manager of PR people at these other firms too. So, you know, a lot, all the other functions other than running the business and the business stuff, I was already doing. I was managing the clients. I was managing the employees. I knew how to do 75% of the job. Mm-hmm. The 25% that I didn't know how to do was all the business stuff, which I made some mistakes. I, you know, was paying personal checks to one of my employees and then had a tax liability on that and didn't, you know, really didn't, didn't have my payroll system set up. Um, it took me a second to get all those things right. Um, Did you lean into any type of, um, mentors or business mentors at that time? Or were you just kind of like throwing shit at the wall, seeing what sticks and then pick up the, pick up whatever pieces have fallen down. It was mostly a mistake driven learning. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, it's so funny. We, I end up talking about this on a lot of episodes with people and it's like finding mentorship is so difficult. And I think there needs to be, that is actually a solution Mm -hmm. that like finding a place where people can go, where business owners can go and offer their time for mentorship and where people like, you know, I mean, you would be now a mentor on this side, but think about you 10 years ago where you could have gone on and said, I am, you know, two years into my business. I need to now hire. This is what my financials look like. Who, what are the best next hires? It's just, it's so difficult to find that mentorship. So maybe that's a business we should start you and I. There is one called mentor camp. Oh, okay. Um, And and (laughs) it's kind of like cameo for mentorship. So you can pay um, like a, you know, $30 for this person. This other person's like 500. Um, It's really cool. 
We talked about doing their PR. I think they hired someone else. Oh. But I'm still repping. I'm still promoting it. Still them. promoting <laughs> it. Well, you heard it here first, Free guys. Uh, you heard it here first. And, uh, and my guests that I've talked to this about, now you know, it's called Mentor. Mentor Cam. Mentor Cam. <laughs> okay, amazing. Amazing. So it was it was a, a hand hurt. Yeah, it was, it was a hand burner learner. Uh, hand hand burner learner. learner. Experience. <laughs> um, and uh, then we, once we got to like five years, we had then kind of consistently raised our prices. We started to work with later stage companies. I think this is when we were started working with companies like Squarespace um, and Prime Video. And then I think at that point is when we really kind of became more established. It felt mm-hmm. like, okay, um, now we're, we kind of made a name for ourselves in the tech PR world. And then we expanded from there. Uh, so it was about, business is 10 years old now. It was about five years ago um, that I was like, let's go a little outside of tech. Let's do some wellness. I've always been really interested in mm-hmm. health and wellness and fitness um, in beauty and lifestyle brands. So we expanded into that about five years ago. And that's now kind of our fastest growing category. About 35% of our clients are, are not hard tech, um, meaning software or hardware, but mm-hmm. they're direct to consumer business or even a business like baked by Melissa cupcakes that yeah. has kind of nothing to do with tech. There's no. definitely a lot of innovation there. Um, yeah. but, um, now how did you, how do you make that pivot? Because you have, you're well-known in one category, then yeah. how do you now go and start pitching these health and wellness companies and get them to, you so know, trust class pass, actually. So it was kind of easier because class yeah. pass was tech and then it was lifestyle Yeah, yeah, yeah. and we helped launch them. So that kind of like, I think some of these brands being consumer and that was so buzzy. So we segue into these other industries about five years into, uh, into the business. And now how do you go about deciding what clients you want to work with? We have the three P's product, potential people product. Do we believe in it? Potential. Do we think we could have um, an opportunity to grow with this company? And then people, do we like the people we're going to be working with? Mm -hmm. Then it's also about like the stage of the company. You know, some companies might be a little too early stage for us and I might recommend them to work with a freelancer or some companies might be, um, say, ethically challenged. And um, that's something that we have always kind of s- stayed away from. We, we have a strict no evil company policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we've pr- pretty much stayed out of vices as well. I think our first um, cannabis company is coming up, actually. Um, I'm really excited. We're going to start working with them next month. And they are an edible company. And for the first seven years, I was like, I want to stay away from all alcohol. But... I think I'm going to be a little flexible on this cannabis one. It's really cool. Well, Cause it's therapeutic. <laughs> yeah, I think exactly. in a way, like yeah. I don't think that anyone's looking at the cannabis industry and thinking of it as like a vice. Yeah. I think, I think I made like this hard line where I was like, I'm, I don't want to be ever do alcohol PR. And I yeah. think that was like kind of, but I think cannabis will let that one in. Well, I know that you've been super open about struggling with anxiety, which it has to be, you know, so difficult to struggle with anxiety as you have all of these. Now, how many employees do you have? 32, 33. You have 32 people's lives and your husband and your child that rely on you for everything. So how do you combat that anxiety when you do have that big uh, weight on your shoulders? I think it's like a, it really, for me, has had to be multimodal. It has to be so many different things. I think number one is exercise. I, I say I started for vanity and I stayed for sanity. Same. You know, I love, I love lifting. My life would be so different without lifting. And I'm not trying to be this huge, big guy. I like that I've grown my muscles a little bit, but it's really about what it does um, to my cortisol levels. Mm-hmm. Getting the right kind of sleep. Yeah. The right kind of supplementation. Anybody who deals with anxiety um, in my life has heard me talk about GABA, G-A-B-A, at night, magnesium supplements. Um, also highly recommend high-dose CBD. A lot of CBDs on the market are, are pretty low-dose. You want to look for like 2,400 milligrams and up. 
um, in the dropper. So it's an $80 bottle. Yeah. <laughs> I need all of this. <laughs> um, um, and then um, 5-HTP. Um, yep. If anybody has- Do you take it daily? I do. Okay. Yeah. I, well, I, I, don't, I don't know if I ever take anything daily, daily. I think I like certain- I'll, I'll probably have a couple of days off or something, but I, I have heard that five HTP sometimes you should take little breaks from it. Mm-hmm. So I haven't taken it in a long time. Read, read up on that, but yeah. I do take it I, very often. And then vitamin D is one of the biggest ones, especially during the winter for New Yorkers. Um, I talked to a clinician the other day and he said 75% of New Yorkers he sees are vitamin D deficient. So get a good vitamin D, even if you only get one out of all those mm-hmm. and you deal with any kind of anxiety or depression, take the D and it's really, <laughs> Take the D. D. (laughs) You know what? Don't listen to any other part of this episode. Just take the D. (laughs) It's great advice, no matter how you slice it. I'm dead. Um, So that one is, I think that's a big one. Um, And um, getting, um, I I do infrared saunas. I think that really helps me. Cardio on top of the lifting. I love a massage. Um, And walks around the block. We call them at at our office, we call them swabs. Sanity walk around the block. Got to do a swab. Just a quick swab. And it really, I mean, we've got science to show that all this stuff really works. Yeah. Um, and then being out by the water, me and my husband have a little cottage. I'm in the Hamptons. Um, the air by the ocean is positively charged with all these ions and it's supposed to help you um, with reducing cortisol levels and anxiety. Incredible. And I really feel that. So I'll like do like half my calls sitting in my car right by the water. And now you brought it up and I wanted to talk to you about this because I know that your company has won several awards for being a fantastic place to work. And I think obviously, you know, that always stems from the top. So would love to just talk about the way that you go about treating your employees. And I hear this in your swabs, (laughs) um, but what other practices do you put in place that you ensure that Asterisk is a wonderful place uh, to work? I think that's like the, the thing that keeps me up the night at night the most is it, it is really, really hard to maintain culture as you grow. And it's hard to see inside every little crevice of your business and see, I can't see every interaction between all my employees. Um, leading by example, I think is obviously the the, the first way to start and, and leading with kindness, um, making that part of our, our values and everybody reads that in our handbook, but then also coming into the office and seeing everybody's really bringing their full selves to work. You know, it's mostly women and it's a very soft environment where people can talk about whatever they want to talk about. And even though there are some straight men in the office, there's still, you know, definitely talk about like, oh, we're, we're on the same cycle or like, oh, girl, can I borrow a tampon? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Very open. Um, there's a lot of people who, who don't identify as straight in the office. So they feel very comfortable talking about their dating relationships. Um, there's people from all walks of life, all different backgrounds. Um, so I think that really... That's that. That's like the most important thing that people just feel safe to be themselves. Mm. Everything else kind of comes from that. Do you find it difficult that you are so young to be at the helm of a of a big company? Do you have employees that are older than you? Do you find it difficult to? I don't really. Um, you don't. But I did when I when I worked at that last PR firm. That was hard when I was twenty seven, managing a couple thirty five year olds, and I think just that judgment. Um, so I've always taken that with me that age is not an indicator of ability. Mm-hmm. And I always say that to people when they start, um, you could move up, you know, six levels within the next two years here. It's not about how old you are. You don't have to be 30 before you get to this title at asterisk. It's age is not an in- indicator of ability. Right. Um, show those results, um, work your ass off. And I, and I always tell them like, look, I started this company when I was 27. My, um, Chief strategy officer. It's actually her birthday today. Lisa Horton. Shout Happy out. birthday, Lisa. Um, <laughs> she started with us as a senior account executive six years ago and has had seven title, um, seven promotions now kind of, you know, 
helps run the business with me. And um, she's maybe a little younger than um, other that people would expect someone to be in the C-suite of a company like ours, but she she did the work. She's, um, you know, incredible at what she does. She's an incredible mentor, an incredible leader. Um, so when I think about culture, I think a lot about her too. She put together this really great professional development program. We were always doing talks and bringing people in and getting uh, our employees to meet with journalists um, and to hear, you know, one-on-one, like right directly, directly from the source what journalists were interested in and how PR people can be really annoying and how not to be like that. But and now we, we've kind of formalized it. We did our first uh, development day where we had a full day, um, started with a sound bath and then went into di- four different professional development sessions. And then we did a kind of state of asterisk. We did an ask me anything with me and Lisa. And so bringing in the right people to kind of organize, knowing your weaknesses. I think mm-hmm. one of mine is like, oh, I get really focused on doing the PR, doing the work, signing great new clients. He's like, we need to formalize some of our professional development. And so having someone who can fill in your gaps. Right. And that's probably not something that necessarily inspires you. You don't want to be writing SOPs all day. I don't. And but it, Lisa, that might really get her off and it probably does. Really, really good at <laughs> yeah. it too. So now you've also been a part of, of seven, it might be even more now, but uh, successful exits. Are those your clients that you're representing yes. with the firm? Okay. Yeah. And then we, I have had a couple of the companies that I invested in um, get acquired as well. But being a part of those moments, one of them was this company called Charlie recently. They launched, we launched them. Uh, Actually, wait, let's backtrack just yeah. because there might be some people that don't know what that even means. Oh, yeah. So just uh, very briefly explain, yeah, what an exit means. In, in, in the tech world, like a lot of the time you you want to either, you know, raise venture capital money um, and and then you have a couple options, grow the company and, and IPO or exit, which means you get acquired by another tech company or another company that isn't tech. For example, um, Plated got acquired by Albertsons, which is a grocery store chain or, mm-hmm. you know, ClassPass got acquired by MindBody, um, which was is another tech company. Um, but anyway, so this company was this fintech company to help millennials save money. We launched them. We got this big New York Times piece, super easy, easy to use app called Charlie. And um, then about six months later, they got acquired by Chime. And they directly attributed the work that we had done in that New York Times piece to getting Chime's attention mm-hmm. and then getting that acquisition. Some companies will say, no, I mean, Facebook was offered... Um, you know, money to be acquired multiple times. Instagram, it was, I think it was maybe his fifth offer um, before he finally said yes. But this made a lot of financial sense to mm-hmm. the, uh, the startup at the time. It's really fun when you could do that. But we took Lemonade through IPO, which was even more fun. Yeah. Working with them for six years. That had to have been an incredible experience. It was so much fun. And it, and and like a lot of like late hours and a lot of I'm stressful sure. moments. And it was our first IPO. I don't even know if Lemonade knows that. And what is, and what does that mean for your PR firm? Like what, what are you doing during those long hours? Are you trying to get the media, like just run us through that? So we're preparing for crisis. Basically we don't, Ah. we we don't want anyone to know that it's happening until it's happening. And there, there are these, uh, what, what, what are, what are called, um, you know, kind of dark days beforehand where you can't speak, the company can't make any noise at all, no public statements. So we're basically preparing a road show to get the the, uh, CEO on the right morning shows, um, talking to the right media. So what do you think it is about your strategy that you've been able to like successfully bring these companies through to their exit and their, you know? I think a lot of PR firms do things very similarly. Um, it is it, what makes us probably stand out is like creativity, relationships, agility. Mm-hmm. I've always done PR for startups. I've only ever known working with companies that have to show high ROI on their PR like right away. PR has to make sense. It has to drive revenue. It has to drive business goals. So I always worked in an industry in which PR had to have a tangible outcome. So that meant that 
you know, anything we did, we needed to really make sure we were reverse engineering it to what the client actually wanted to achieve. What, what were those bottom line business goals? And if we're not helping them achieve it with PR, we're failing. What is the dream company that you would love to work with that you Ooh. haven't done yet? You know, impact, impact is really, really important for us. Sustainability is like a, a company really focused on sustainability comes to mind. Um, but a company that also has, you know what company it is? It's Airco Vodka. Now, I said they never wanted to work with a, yeah. a, with a brand. Okay. This, and I, I talked to the founder, Greg, if you're listening, I still want to work with you. They're, we'll tag him in the show. Maybe he'll watch we, it. No, we, we, we've talked a couple of times and I think, I think, um, I think they're ready for Airco? Airco. So what they're doing is they're actually taking carbon from the environment and turning it into vodka. So it's a carbon negative vodka. So they're distilling the atmosphere um, and taking carbon out of the atmosphere to create as part of the distillation process for vodka. So it's a carbon negative, not carbon neutral, but a carbon negative. negative. Wow. And it's a premium product. that's also super um, clean because of the way that it's distilled. So it's a little bit of a premium product. Maybe it's like, you know, compared to a Tito's, maybe it's 30% more, but they're taking the same process and they're applying it to a bunch of different industries. They just came out with a clone as well. So I just think, and it's just really cool branding, really incredible science. Yeah. A really great product that people love. So it's, you know, you've got this whole sustainability story. You've got the science story, which I love and geek out about. Um, and it's making the world a better place. But then it's also just a really fucking good product. Right. So that's an example of a company. Honest Co. comes to mind for me when yeah. I think about, you know, brands like that as well. Yeah. You know, and then, and then like maybe like SpaceX five years ago before Elon was a kind of controversial companies. Um, oh, what about actually, like Blue Origin or something though? There's actually this company called um, Bedrock and they are doing the exploration of the seas, um, kind of like SpaceX is doing for space. Um, and I talked to the founder a couple of times. There. That's I'm, cool. I think I'm an LP in, I, I'm an investor in them through my relationship with primary venture. Um, it's called bedrock technologies. And they're creating all these sub submarines that can go way deeper. Cause there's a bunch of the ocean that we would have. That's cool. Yeah. That's really, it's, it's, just, like, it's also freaky too. Companies. Like, <laughs> I can just keep going. There's so many that I want to work yeah. with. So what is, what does the business look like five years from now from you? I don't know. And mm-hmm. I, I want to continue to be flexible and malleable and let my, dream kind of my desires kind of flow with the way that the market's flowing and with the way that my interest is flowing and the way that my team's interest is flowing. If we find ourselves doing a lot more work in entertainment or gaming, which we've done a lot more recently, we've done a lot in wellness companies like Nutrafol. We have this new longevity vitamin company called Novos, worked with this brand called Bayes. Um, all these brands that are helping. Bayes, I know Bayes. Yeah. yeah. All these brands that are helping people really understand their health um, and t- make tangible differences on, the, on their biomarkers. Um, How many clients do you have now? About 40. Wow. What is, what is it exciting to you still? I mean, I feel like there's probably so much that you've seen and gone through as, you know, you head up this big PR firm, what still excites you and what still drives you to keep going forward? The thing that really gets me excited is, is helping young people break through glass ceilings that they've kind of set for themselves and kind of help them realize that like you can do more than you think you can. You can um, do it faster. You can do it younger. Um, you can be the first mover in this industry. In- inspiring young people, I think, is my favorite part the of mentorship. my job. mentorship. Yeah, the mentorship part of it. And then really helping founders, like the um, angel investing side of things. Um, I work with this man, Finn, who started this brand called Both And, and being able to help him on his journey um, as he's raising money, as he's marketing the brand, um, and you know, really being able to have an impact on this brand that's so young um, with a founder that's just so smart and so cool um, and that is so appreciative. It just feels, um, mm-hmm. it feels so great. 
That's beautiful. Do you find that a lot of these relationships that you have where you're doing the angel investing, are they coming through uh, like your own personal network or are they coming through other channels? A lot of the time they're coming through my personal network. So I know a lot of venture capitalists who know, hey, Elliot does impact investing. He's only interested in BIPOC, AAPI, um, LGBTQ plus and female founders. They know not to send me a straight white guy. (laughs) And then, um, (laughs) but both end was actually interesting. Um, They won our pro bono contest that we do every year. So we have this annual pro bono contest um, where we give away a free year of PR to a female founded, BIPOC founded, LGBTQ plus or AAPI founded company that's raised less than 1.5 million. So you have to be early stage. Mm-hmm. You have to be consumer facing and you apply. Applications are opening um, in the next month and you can just follow our our, um, our Instagram um, and you'll see a link to apply. Um, but you get a free year of PR and it's worth $250,000 and the whole company works on it. We had a thousand applicants last year. I think we're gonna have more this year. Oh my gosh. Um, and so he actually won the contest when he was launching both ends. Oh, uh, both end. Okay, yeah. cool. So he won the contest three years ago. What a great way to get a new client too, by the way. I know, Smart. Right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And you know, put your money where your mouth is. I want to see yes. more female. Fun. We have female founded businesses get two some stats say 4% of all the venture capital money. And um, we're not, now we're, we're not even talking about BIPOC founders. We're not talking about trans founders. Like it's, it's a really small percentage of venture capital money that goes towards underrepresented founders. And so course, we wanted yeah. to level the playing field in our own way. Um, Cause if they don't have as, as much money coming in, they don't have as much money to spend on marketing. And so if we can kind of augment that with, with free PR um, it's they are us doing our little part. Um, but that's how I met him. And um, you know, and it's, it's been a lovely relationship ever since. And I, I was like, can I, can I invest? I'm obsessed with your company. He's like, yeah. I would love nothing more. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, get your applications <laughs> in founders, underrepresented founders. This guy's helping you out. This is beautiful. It's, it's at asterisk PR on Instagram, A-S-T-R-S-K-P-R. Don't forget the S. That's <laughs> You've obviously put in a ton of work, both personally on yourself, but also in your business. And um, this was so nice for me to just learn about you. And I, I feel like there's, there's so many nuggets in there that I think that people are really going to appreciate hearing. So thank you so much for sharing with me and for being so vulnerable. Of and course. I love you. I love you. <laughs> I oh my really, gosh. This is so fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have to do our quick fire questions, oh, baby. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm ready. Yeah. Okay. What are three things that you think about every single day? My son, my husband, um, and, um, my mom. I love if you had a warning label, what would it be? Fragile. Oh, <laughs> oh I just sound like the fragile. But no, I am like, I am, I definitely have a t- tough exterior and I put boundaries in place, but I am, I am a sensitive boy. I was raised by um, a psychologist and a really sensitive man. And I'm a, I'm a sensitive boy. Um, and emotionally intelligent. I think I, you know, and sensitivity is okay that, in business that has been a challenge for me in some ways, because, you know, it is, uh, it's hard to not take things personally. And so <laughs> really learning to not take the, those things personally and be like, okay, this is just a loss. It was always, I always have LaCroix in my hand. So I tell employees this, I'm like, look, imagine this is the, the lesson smash the can, all that air. The, that's your disappointment. That's your shame. Just keep the metal, which is the learning and, and throw all the rest of it out. Who taught you this? I just made it out. I drink LaCroix all the time. I don't know. Then, but, but those. You heard it here first, people. There's so much. There's so Smash much. Smash like, the air out. There's so much shame and, and like beating yourself up about shit. It's just, just take the lesson, take the data, move on. 
Yeah. Anyways, these are quick fire questions. Yeah. I'm, I'm no, no, no. Fire. I'm learning. <laughs> uh, no, I'm learning myself too. Like I actually, I, I really needed to hear that. If money were no object, what would you do? I would mentor people or help them find their life purpose. I think like doing something where you help people express themselves, um, find purpose or work through some kind of trauma through creativity. I, I want to help people become the best versions of themselves in some capacity. Beautiful. Do you feel like you found your life's purpose? I do. I don't feel like I'm fully doing it just yet. I feel like I'm putting all these pieces in place to allow me to do it. I've got the VC stuff going now. I've got impact investing going. I've got the angel investing going, but I still feel like there's a piece um, that I don't exactly know where it's going to come from or what it's going to be, but I feel like um, I'm doing all this to prepare myself for what's next. And I'm, I'm kind of surrendering and I don't really, I don't know what it is, but when you I'll find do. it, you'll surrender. Yeah. You'll be ready. I think I'm going to have like three or four or five or seven careers. I well, think. I mean, you're super young, so yeah. <laughs> let's go. Let's do it. You should start a podcast. No, I'm just kidding. Don't start a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Last it'll be, question. It'll be called World's Your Pearl. <laughs> oh, now we'll be in competition. <laughs> you could just come on. You could be yeah. our third host. Yeah. I love that. Well, last question. Do you like oysters? I, okay. I used to pretend that I liked oysters when I first started dating my husband. People pleaser. Don't people please. I know. I I like Kumamoto's. I like really, really small oysters. They have to be very small and they have to be very fresh. I don't like the big, I don't really like the big East Coast, the Montauk ones. I don't like the big ones either. I like West Coast, Seattle ones. um, And it has to have a really good mignonette with high acidity. Um, And then I'm into it. Do I crave them like my husband does? Like he could eat them all all day long, all year long? No. But do I like them? Yes. Favorite food? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) That was a great answer. (laughs) On that note, everybody, thank you for watching. See you. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to World's Your Oyster. If you love what you're listening to, be sure to like, rate, and review this episode wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at World's Your Oyster. And share this episode with a friend. We'd really appreciate it. Bye bye.